Well, folks, it's a cold open for this episode of the Star Wars Report. Uh, hey, it's Riley. Um, yeah, I uh, had to cut this episode a little shorter than I wanted to. I was having a great time with Scott, but I had an appointment right after recording, which is unfortunate. I was not able to get to um, my comic reviews of the High Republic and the Star Wars Operation Starlight. But that's it's a, a sad tragedy that I'm opening the show with. Yes, I know. But, uh, but there is some more Star Warsy content that I want to... Uh, get you guys hyped about this week number one already out on my Substack, riley writes r-i-l-e-y riley writes.substack.com you can go there and enjoy an in-depth long form review reflection reflection uh on my experience <laughs> how do you why do i even phrase this my experience going to a special publicity event for solo a star wars story um and 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 I titled that the Star Wars influencer, the decline of fandom in the age of social media marketing. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to know. It's a fun post I put together, kind of chronicling that event and sort of talking about the uh, <laughs> the ups and the downs of influencer culture in the realm and in the modern era of Star Wars. If you're interested in that, RileyWrites.substack.com. It's free. You can also sign up there and get future editions of the newsletter. But it also um, functions as a as a blog of sorts. So that's pretty pretty cool there. So RileyWrites.substack.com. I wanted to plug that. And then the, the second thing I wanted to say at the top of the show here is a plug for later this week. We're doing two episodes this week. I know, right? Crazy. Um, we've got a special interview podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here. I'm set to interview him this coming Tuesday. It'll be premiering at the end of the week. Uh, it's the one and only Jimmy Mack from Rebel Force Radio who's going to be on to talk about all things Star Wars, fandom, and uh, his time in the trenches of Star Wars podcasting. I can't wait for it. So uh, stay tuned to the Star Wars Report podcast. And without further ado, on with the episode. Let's do the show, folks. Gum, gum, gum. And who might you be? It's the Star Wars Report. Star Wars Report. Star Wars Report. The place for Star Wars news, features, interviews, and more. Then we can do something epic. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Please delete as appropriate. The Force. It's calling to you. Just let it in. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Star Wars Report podcast. I'm your host, Riley Blanton. Glad to have you back for this episode. Let me check my notes. Let me make sure I don't miss this one. Uh, It's uh, 474 as we continue our countdown to episode 501. I told you guys we're going to be bringing back a lot of the greats. And we're also bringing back Scott Reif. And how's it going, man? <laughs> hey, I wondered where I fit into that scheme. <laughs> hey, no, that's, uh, how's it? No, I've actually I say it entirely facetiously because uh, you are one of the favorite uh, guests, and many people have been uh, at least three or four people have emailed. Well, um, there's me. There's my mom. My <laughs> wife. Yeah, that's about right. That's about right. Dude, welcome back to the to the been, Star Wars report. Been lobbying to be on the report for a while. No, actually, you know, we tried to make it happen a few times, and just like our schedules have not worked mm. out. You've been a, you're, well. You're on the bike half the time these days. That's, <laughs> well, and then I'm and I'm trying to catch up here. I I started this uh, running. I'm tra- training for a marathon. 
oh, true wow. story. It has nothing to do Oof. with Star Wars, which is why it's really smart to bring it up right in the opening yeah. of the show. Right know? in the opening. It's really what brings the folks in. Yes. Um, but no, it's it's been tough. Schedules haven't aligned until now. Uh, and now here we are to once again talk all things Star Wars. We've got a little bit of news to talk about. There's actually been a lot of news in the veritable buffet of of Star Wars content that continues to onslaught the internet a little bit of everything all of the time to quote Bo Burnham uh, and we're not going to cover it all because we can't possibly I just give up I give up I can't I can't keep up with it but we do have some key highlights for the last few weeks of Star Wars content news that have come out so let's do it in the news something to report pleasure I have good news data brought to us by the Botham spies we can send a clear transmission there it is listen listen the book of Boba Fett is back. Well, not back, but it, I just wanted to continue the alliteration. Uh, book of Boba Fett. We have a premiere date all the way at the end of the year, December 29th. Uh, the book of Boba Fett premieres. Disney Plus announced it officially. The Lucasfilm series, which was teased in the in credit sequence of the last episode of season two of The Mandalorian, uh, pr- uh, premiering December 29th. And probably much more interesting than just like the date they put the official announcement uh poster or as they call it the key art scott what's mm-hmm. key art i feel like you would know the difference between what's, it's just a poster key art key, key art is the main iconography that represents whatever the property is for that that and it's the one that stretches across all the different properties like you'd have a you know some vader mm. image would be your key art for your movie that would be what would be on the action figures or probably on the novelization oh. it'd be on the being on the merchandising and that kind of thing, too. So I th- the most iconic key art, then, for me in Star Wars is that um, kind of Macquarie-ish Vader that was over the top with lo- the- Surround and Lava and all the Revenge of the Sith product yep. line. I remember that. was that. key art, yes. And I was the right age to, like, that logo be emblazoned because all of the action figures, lightsabers, everything that I was staring at, Lego sets... All had it. So now, see, now yep. I know. I knew you would know this. I don't know how oh, I knew, yeah. but you, I knew you would know this. Because I'm a merchandise freak. That's, well, that's, that's true. That's fair. But the key art, the key art for the book yes. of Boba Fett uh, is live. He's looking, he's looking pretty gnarly. He's, he's, he's got the dented helmet, the beat-up armor a little bit. Uh, no cod piece, though. Well, what? he's put on a few pounds. <laughs> You said it, not me. Adjusted. No, well, I, no, that was a thing too, wasn't it? On any in the interwebs, that people went crazy when people pointed out he'd put on a few pounds, but but he has. I was one of those people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he has. God bless Tamara Morrison. Like he is, uh, he is a bad dude, a, a, and oh, not yeah. not just an Attack of the Clones. Like he was in, he had a a recurring role in the Spartacus series on Stars, and he played this mm. like gladiatory gladiator taskmaster. And he's this like super gruff old ex gladiator, but it kind of worked because he was like, he was like a little gruff, little little chubby, but like in the gnarly mean kind of way. Like he still worked out a lot, which probably describes Tamara Morrison, um, <laughs> because does. like he, I think, we're, but I, I feel like if they embrace that for for Boba, like it doesn't have to be the same Boba. In fact, I would hope it's a different Boba uh, that we see. But I'm excited. I'm hyped for this series. I am considerably mm. more hyped for the series than I was ever hyped for Mandalorian. I'm not going to lie. Cuz I was hmm. never I was never like super excited for the Mandalorian before it aired. Just because I thought okay. the idea of hinging an entire Star Wars series on a nameless faceless character with no backstory, it would be difficult for to get audience investment. Now here's the thing, I was right. But 
What? They also have Baby Yoda, and everybody loves Baby Yoda, so, so yeah. it worked out. Yeah, well, and, and my thing, I was always excited about Mandalorian because I went, well, okay, this is going to be our, our surrogate Boba Fett show, mm-hmm. and now we've actually got a Boba Fett show, so I'm even happier. Yes, exactly. Uh, they also released the official show description, which I'm sure will tell us all about it. Uh, a thrilling Star Wars adventure, okay, check, finds legendary bounty hunter Boba Fett and the mercenary <laughs> Finnick Shand navigating the galaxy's underworld when they return to the Sands of Tatooine. Ooh, that'd be a good episode title. The Sands <laughs> of Tatooine to stake their claim on a territory once ruled by the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. They didn't say vile gangster, but I just put that no, in their copy say, for them. They always call him the vile gangster no, Jabba I, the Hutt. No, they didn't, but they should have. But anyway, mm. uh, and his crime syndicate. Ooh, the phrase crime syndicate, jumping back into um, the copy the here. Maybe, maybe it's something that they could... Um, some of those references and foundation that they laid out in Solo and some of the rumored spinoff series of the idea of the crime syndicates, the Pikes, <laughs> if you will. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Uh, are you? Where are you on the on the whole Boba Fett thing? Are you sold yet? Is it something that you're kind of hanging back, waiting to see? Oh no, no, I'm I'm full bore ahead. I'm I'm hoping this is going to be terrific. I'm I'm all in. I mean, for the second I saw the tease, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Yeah, no, I'm I'm hyped. and here's and I think there really is the the uh, legacy and the um, appeal of the character of Boba Fett is far beyond a, a lot of the other characters that they could go. I mean, you're you're going yeah. straight back to the original trilogy and tying it directly into that, and I really like that. Well, what I love about it is there are a lot of people who kind of they're Boba Fett detractors and denigrators, mm-hmm. and who well, you you got him for two seconds of the story, and he only has four lines or whatever, and you know there's always a we don't know anything about him, who cares? Uh, and now you're going to find out more about him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that, exactly, yeah, no, and I really, I really want to see the um, the chronicling of his. Uh, journey post sarlacc pit and i'm pretty confident we're gonna get that you don't get a boba fett show without that flashback without the gloved mm. hand you know mm-hmm. clutching the dust as as he crawls out of the sarlacc but that was one of my favorite um tales from the bounty hunters book that came out mm. a while back i had that uh, as a teenager and really the one, the one where he's he's in there yeah. and he's escaping yep yep uh, and dingar helped helps him out which i thought i really yeah. liked how they sort of that little kind of spin-off book I think it would be the perfect template for a series. Like mm-hmm. if you were going, if they were going to try to unite, which Kathleen Kennedy in her like uh, speech to the Investor Day like last year talked about tying all these characters and series together in a special event, whatever that will be. The um, Avengers. Yeah, I I don't oh. think the Avengers works for it. Oh. I, we've talked about this. I don't think it works for Star Wars. <laughs> no. However, comma. Oh, I hate that I just said that. But however, <laughs> comma. <laughs> The um, the idea of tying in an event uh, based on bounty hunters, I think that's actually if you were to carve out one corner of the Star Wars myth, mm. that would be interesting to like explore different characters and then they team up. I would mm. say the bounty hunters would be the most interesting way to do that. So give me Forlam and Zuckus and Dengar and and get their own special episodes, introduce them in some of these different series, mm. and then like a big event. That's what I would be in for. In for. And you could call it mm, yeah. War of the Bounty Hunters. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I haven't um, I haven't caught up with that one uh, in the comics. <laughs> I have some comics <laughs> reviews later in the episode, but yeah. 
but not that one. Not not that one. Not that one. Okay. I am gonna. I, it's on. It's on pre-order on Amazon. I'm, mm. I'm gonna do it. Um, all right. Let's 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 jump ahead. I do also want to talk a little bit of, briefly about Star Wars Visions. Now I know you haven't had a chance to to watch it yet, Scott. I'm just outing no. you right now. But yes. I did kind of want to touch base with something that I told you. All you bad need to fan know. Bad fan alert. Bad fan alert. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> the the um the freaking. <laughs> How do I? I, I need the English version. There's a rock opera episode. All you need to know about Star Wars Visions, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, caught it much more in depth than I have. But there is a. It's kind of the once more with feeling of Star Wars. Basically, yeah, it, it's a a young emo hut that just doesn't want to be caught up in that gangster life just because his dad wants him to join the family. You know, he just he just want to rock. He just wants to rock, man. And it sounds something like this. Two, one, two, three, four. Come on and lose yourself now, everybody. Do 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 dancing, Harry, move your body. We just be shopping, telling ya we love it. Do 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 don't stop, Harry. I just want to point out somebody in a boardroom at Disney approved this and still won't release Star Wars Detours. I mean, let's also, I can't lie, I've been unironically rocking out to this. I would much rather have the, uh, much rather have the holiday special, but that's just me. That's just me. (sighs) By the way, that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. In, and the lead vocal. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. So listen, it, it, they'll do anything if you say it's attached to Star Wars. <laughs> no, what's funny is that I've actually thoroughly enjoyed it, much more than I thought I would like Star Wars Visions, including that episode, by the way, which a lot of people have been hating on. How dare they? Um, mm. But uh, but it's it's completely, it's non-canon. The, the storytelling, the short story format, I think works really well. And there were some misses, but there were definitely some hits. I thought... Um, I, I but I, I don't think I don't have the background knowledge or fandom in the in the on the anime world side of things to know any of these studios or um any of the sort of uh like Japanese cultural elements that come with anime fandom. So I, I I'm completely unintelligent on that topic. So I really don't feel unqualified to like break down the episodes other than to say that like, oh that's a pretty cool concept. That's that's neat. Yeah. They did that. That's the thing they did. I approve. I enjoyed it. And the uh, the Ronin novel, the Star Wars Visions Ronin novel is coming out. I think this this week. Yeah, that is so weird that they would do a novel based. I off think of it's these. interesting. I'm I'm intrigued by this. I, I well, and the Ronin character is really good. I mean, it's one of my favorite episodes. Mm. But it's just like, I mean, it's not in the canon of Star Wars, and I and I'm not even a canon person. But like, it would I, my brain always like, where does it fit in with the Star Wars story? At least in some way. But, but it's that's like the point of this, though. But it'd be but it'd be like getting a Detours novel. <laughs> Well, we almost did, so. <laughs> Don't think yeah, that well, wasn't going to happen at some eh, point. You're probably right. Yeah, I can't. You're, you're probably right. I, I, so, Star Wars Vision Season 1. They also dropped it all at once, which I thought was kind of cool. But it makes sense. It was more of a, um, uh, I don't know, it was more more of a sh- short form format. So, it makes more sense that they would do that. I also want to mm. t- touch base with you, Scott, on... What, like the whole internet's been talking about, and I and I feel like it. Uh, this is just us jumping on board too. But I will say, I remember getting a tease from uh, J.W. Rensler, rest in peace, 
Hmm. When we interviewed him last summer, this is uh, before his diagnosis. Hmm. Um, but he said he he strongly hinted at his current project, which was the biography of Howard Kazanjian, and he talked about how he'd done, I think, several very in-depth interviews with Marsha Lucas and, and gotten kind of a fresh perspective from her on a lot of the latest goings-on in Star Wars. And so I remember thinking to myself, that's going to make a splash whenever these quotes finally come out. And they, they have. Mm-hmm. And, and they have. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. There's a lot here. And, and, and so the book is Howard Kazanjian, A Producer's Life. So it focuses on his life. But a big part of that were a series of these interviews that, you know, J.W. Renzer was really thorough in his approach to documenting the behind the scenes of some of these great filmmakers. So his interviews are notoriously amazing and and they're they're the backbone of his making of star wars books um um but she, so he does get dig into marsha's opinion on the star wars sequel trilogy mm-hmm. um which is kind of interesting because suffice to say i won't read the same quotes but she's not 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 a big fan and it's interesting because the her perspective I, if you remove her name from the quote it sounds sort of like a transcription of like a really frustrated Star Wars YouTuber or something like that. I mean, yeah. like the, the 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 types of criticisms that she has. She's like this Ray character. We don't even know who she is, where she gets her powers. And I was like, is Marsha Lucas on like Reddit a lot or something? <laughs> and then part of me was wondering, maybe she is. Maybe she is like watching uh, all of the latest like YouTube criticisms of the sequel trilogy as they come out. Um, well. Yeah, well, the only thing is she didn't start saying, and I have inside sources that tell me that uh, Marcia, uh, not Marcia Lucas, that uh, Kathy Kennedy is about to be fired, mm. and George Lucas is going to make his own sequel trilogy, uh, <laughs> and you know, that's then you would know she's been watching YouTube too much. Yeah, well, that's that's true. That 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 ingredient was um, was there, but her actual her main concern was the killing off of Han Solo, which I remember. I mean, in posthumously. Pun and I guess pun slightly intended. Now we look back on the on the movie, and I think fit that into a larger narrative of 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 people who don't like the way the original trilogy characters were treated. But I think on its own, I never really heard the the criticisms of killing off Han Solo um, when the Force Awakens first came out. Uh, there was a little bit of it, but you know, I didn't hear the hatred for force awakens when it first came out. Like I do now yeah. and everybody kind of tends to retroactively hate it. But I'll, I'll remind you that that movie was doing so well that Disney basically had to kill it at the box office. They had to stop supporting it they at did. the box office in I, order to get it out of theaters and be able to do a home video release and then ramp up rogue one. So, uh, force awakens would have stayed in, in theaters about seven forevers. Had I know. They allowed it to, which is I mean, it's what makes it such an incredibly unique film of of the mm. modern era. Like we have never seen anything like that since no. 1999, really. Like we I remember distinctly going in February, it's the middle of February, months into release. And the local theater, uh this is down down in Atlanta in Fayetteville, Georgia. Um and uh it was just a normal regal showing on a Saturday afternoon and I showed up about 15 minutes before showtime and there is an entire line all the way down one of the hallways past several of the theaters and they still had their like um roped off lane for people to line up before the showing and it was like probably 40 50 people all in line in the middle of february 
in the middle of the <laughs> school year. It still blows my. I remember I, I took a picture oh, yeah. of that and 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 texted it to a few friends, just like marveling at how incredible that comeback was when you just isolate. But according to her, she doesn't seem to be the the biggest fan of the move, which you know it's it's is fair. Um, yeah. Well, and and she wasn't the biggest fan of the se- of the prequels either. To be fair, that's true. She kind of slags those in the book as well. That th- those quotes aren't being pulled out and trotted about as much as the ones on the sequel trilogy are. True, true. And I, I yeah, I remember the quote on the prequels was, uh, as she came out of the Phantom Menace, like being disappointed at what could have been versus what was there, and like this incredible story. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting. Um, I feel like she's only, she's been in the public spotlight a little bit more in the last four or five years because I remember when J.W. Renzer talked about that, I was like, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone interviewing Marsha Lucas. And I, no, I, no. I started poking around, and there was like one or two interviews at a couple ILM events she'd been to, like reunions that she'd been to mm. in recent years. So I, and so I think she she's made brief uh, public appearances a few times in the last three or four years. But before that, it was like, a dearth. I don't think she was a public figure at all ever since 83 all the way until, you know, whatever it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Have you, have you, have you bought the book? I have not. Mm-mm. Okay. I, I bought it and I've been reading through it. I haven't gotten to the sequel trilogy stuff, but she wrote the intro and she says in the intro to the book that basically, uh, she deliberately consciously laid low over the years because she didn't want to make people think she was out there trying to say, Hey, look, you know, I was a huge part of star Wars too. And, you know, try to take, Mm. glory away from george um so she just kind of laid low and she just i I think she feels like now that george is out of it and and pretty firmly out of it that she's she's interested in speaking back up now yeah yeah i'll tell you i'll I'll tell you another little tidbit that i picked up now this is good this is good stuff for you guys okay all right here you go so you mentioned earlier i do my bike rides Mm -hmm. and uh on my bike rides i I usually listen to audiobooks because i'm i get too into music so oh. I don't, you know, I get too expressive about music. So I don't want to listen to music on the bike ride because I want to play my guitar or yell or something. But <laughs> so I listen to audiobooks, and the one I'm reading or listening to right now is by one of the founders of of uh, Pixar. Okay. And back when Pixar was owned by George Lucas, he drops a little bit of truth bomb that I don't think anybody realizes. And you know, it was it's always been said that well George just didn't want to focus on that right now, so he sold it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the thing about Pixar. He sold, he sold it to Steve Jobs. Jobs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, this guy was at the ground floor. He's one of the guys who helped to name Pixar. He was at Lucasfilm when this happened. Um, and and the, the reality of it is that when George Lucas got divorced, he needed to free up $15 million in cash flow mm. in order to make the divorce happen. Oh, so, gotcha. Uh, one of the things he did was he decided to sell Pixar, tried to sell Oof. it for 15 and apparently Steve Jobs drove him down to 5 Mm, well, you know that Steve's a pretty, uh, he drives a hard bargain. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the interesting thing about it is that basically, when you think about it, Marsha, who uh, she's the one who, let's say, instigated the need for the divorce. Uh, Marsha is the reason why Pixar ultimately has kind of become what it has become. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, you've got whatever credit she can take for Star Wars, but she's <laughs> also got some credit to take for Pixar because of the divorce. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And what year was that? Was that, that well, was that 83, they, 84, probably? They, they broke up in 83, and I think it wound up getting sold in 86, maybe. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. That's crazy. Yeah, that's great. No, I, yeah. I, I knew very little about the background story until, except for the, the brilliant 
pieces that were scraped together about that time in their life. Not in a like um, gauche digging in for the gory details kind of way, but just like to mm-hmm. inform what happened to the storyteller and why Star Wars died. And, 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 and mm-hmm. that ugly divorce was a big part of it. Um, yeah. And, and oh, I, yeah. I guess what I'm alluding to is the, the secret history of Star Wars does a great job kind of yep. piecing together threads, bits of interviews and stuff that kind of talk through what happened at that time with Lucasfilm and um, the sort of rising empire of what George was trying to build as far as this sort of new Hollywood. He's essentially mm-hmm. uh, wanted to build new Hollywood, kind of cut that off and just kind of retreated in the background to raise his kids, process the divorce. Like, that's why. And moved to producing for films and, and that kind of scaled back. Sometimes I really do wonder, it, like, if Hollywood would even still be Hollywood if George and some of his contemporaries had a little bit more, you know, whatever life choices that would have, whatever exits that would have been taken to be able to achieve that sort of crowning achievement that those young filmmakers wanted in San Francisco. Um, I sometimes yeah. wonder. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and you look at that squad that, that was around him at the time, and and so many of them became a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and Kazanjian was one of those guys. I mean, that's where that's where they met was in school. Yeah. So uh, it just you know John Milius and De Palma and you know all these guys are just yeah. Uh, they all made a huge mark. Yeah. No, they did. They did. Um, but but think about this too, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Lucas tries to sell Pixar for fifteen million bucks because he needs to free up that cash to make the divorce happen. And nobody wants it. Like Steve Jobs was the only guy who really came in and wanted the thing. What? What even? What stage was Pixar in as a company? Well, one of the things they talk about it was they were they were doing the computer work. They were working on doing computer generated animation. The thing is, George George's idea for Pixar was that it would be able to assist him in merging computer graphics with live action. That's mm-hmm. what he wanted. Gotcha. And the guys behind Pixar wanted to create fully animated features. You know, a lot of these guys were people who wanted to be animators, but didn't exactly have the artistic ability to do so, but they had computer skills. So, um, you know, George, and he realized that, you know, they're kind of, they were cross purposes. So he was always kind of a little hands off with them because they weren't doing exactly what, what he envisioned for his product. Mm -hmm. So it was an easy decision to sell them, but nobody wanted it. Nobody. Yeah, it's interesting, and that's what Industrial Light and Magic eventually did anyway with Jurassic yeah. Park and like any number of other films in the '90s that ushered in the era of blending live action with CGI. Um, yeah, and that's that was where that's what he wanted to do. That's the direction he wanted to go, and he thought Pixar would be that, and it, and it turned out to not be that. Yeah, and then they just got a bunch of really great storytellers in one place. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting. My my favorite thing about the idea of Pixar is that how the they were they they were incubated in this very creative environment. An early Lucasfilm. You don't get much more mm. like rogue, renegade, creative filmmakers than than early Lucasfilm. And so it yep. makes perfect sense that that's sort of the birth of what Pixar became to define in the late '90s, early 2000s as this this incredible storytelling process that the films would go to. They became known for the like. There's even a name for it. I don't remember. Like the Pixar process, where they they would mm. do the whole story. They would all meet. They would read through it. And then they would like throw spears, poke holes. They would invite some great storytellers to like talk about every character moment has to mean something. Every every motivation has to make sense. You can't just force stuff to happen. And they would just rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. Yep. And that's what I, funny enough, Disney Animation has done today with their animated mm-hmm. films for for the in house and the era of Frozen and Tangled and some of their more recent you know successes. 
they have the same exact process. They just lifted it from Pixar that was already yeah. doing it really well. And, and it's interesting because you, as you go through the book, and it's called Creativity Incorporated. By oh, yeah, way. we should plug it um, by now. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. As you go through the book, he does kind of detail the evolution of that process and how they, they – Every process was hierarchical, mm-hmm. and that was the thing that they felt like they needed to eliminate so that the guy sitting on the corner, you know, the lowest guy felt comfortable bringing up his suggestions and his criticisms and his critiques and everything yeah. because that, you know, the system just wasn't built that way. Yeah. And, you know, they went from having, you know, they went to a long table, and but the guys at the end of the table can't. You know, don't yeah. feel comfortable. You know, the guys at the middle table are the important guys. And we, you know, so they went to like a square table and just all these. Well, it's, it's funny. Just, is, and the square table still in yeah. use. You watch and it's it's yeah. the weirdest plug. But the, you watch the, the Frozen 2 documentary of all things, right? Mm-hmm. But um, they they detail that how they rewrote and rewrote that film. Not just the film, but the music and the characters. As the characters change, they would rewrite the songs. And it's very expensive to do, by the way, this way. But it's the way that they wanted to do it. And you'll see the director. Oh, I wish I could remember her name. But she would invite these big essentially like true story group meetings but they would invite these luminary other filmmakers and writers from disney and even just guests uh that want to come and be part of it they all get in the room and they all go through the movie and then everyone in the circle goes around and starts uh giving feedback and they they take you into that process and how like the early drafts of the script have like elsa's motivation is very muddy and like it's about self-discovery but it's vague and it's exactly what you would expect from the current era of storytelling and then i just like in the other room these other filmmakers who directed a lot of disney's most successful animated films over the years um even uh, we're just like i don't i don't get it what, what why is she, why is she doing this what is what is this discovery about and like what's herself she values herself now and and that's where they completely change her motivation in the story to make it more about family and uh, I guess I say all of that to say, so why, why did Star Wars miss out on this? That's what I want to know. <laughs> because I think if anything, all, all we hear about the behind the scenes of Star Wars in the sequel trilogy era is, is a very hierarchical system of, yes. of which many, uh, many of the key players are constantly at odds with each other. And there seems to be mm-hmm. very little genuine criticism and collaboration for the betterment of the story. I just I don't I don't get why 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 that didn't bleed through. If one part of the studio is doing this really well, why that wouldn't be ushered into Lucasfilm? And and it may well be that Star Wars is such an historically been such an kind of an autorial driven process. You know, mm-hmm. the, there is the writer director who is creating these films. Uh, even though George didn't direct the other two in the trilogy, he might as well have. Um, but then you know he does the whole sequel trilogy by himself with. You know the people under him doing their thing, and then that's kind of the structure, really. When you think about it, they chose to pursue for creating that sequel trilogy. They have a writer director for the first one, a writer director for the second, one, a mm-hmm. writer director for the third one, um, and and that may be what they felt was the best approach. When nowadays, I don't know that it is anymore for this. I mean, I, it's different when you have a George Lucas when it's his vision, his baby, he birthed it, yeah. and you know set him loose, uh, versus kind of now we've got to meet the expectations of an entire uh fan base that you're going to bring some guy in who's who's not been steeped in it forever yeah i don't know that it works no it doesn't and i think we i mean we have evidence of this because it was it's a more messy version of what we're talking about with the pixar process but we kind of had a version of that with rogue one which is i would argue the best story 
of any of the Disney era films. And like they uh, essentially sidelined the director, rewrote and, and reshot a ton of the movie and, and, and brought mm. in new perspectives. And we still don't know what exactly that process because it was all kind of hidden behind. Yeah. Uh, it was much more hidden. They didn't take a documentary camera in like they did for Frozen 2, you know? Yeah, and there should be for that thing. That, I mean, that's a huge story. Yeah, no, it is, and it is, and it's, and it was bold what they did at the at the end of Rogue mm. One, and that's not wasn't the original ending, like the no. the, <laughs> the mass deaths, and it's uh, it's just interesting how that the tone of that film evidently changed so much in its in its process. I'd be really curious um, to see if they sort of have learned that lesson in, in into future live action projects. Um, yeah. I, I I hope they. I, I'm I'm opt- I'm I'm moderately optimistic that they have because I think they're doing a version of that better for with the tv products um yeah, i think i think are. with with filoni and favreau and you kind of see the behind the scenes um i think the stuff that we get the behind here's the lesson if we're getting behind the scenes material it probably means the creative process is working well enough to actually be worth showing yeah. to people and if we hear yeah. nothing about the behind the scenes we're like yeah that probably wasn't working out very well yeah, there, yeah there's a tight control on what's being revealed about the creative process right now <laughs> That's so true. No doubt. Uh, well, I'm glad. Scott, thanks for bringing that. That's actually, what's the name yeah. of the book? Uh, the book is called Creativity, Inc. Okay. Well, that's, I, I'm going to, I'm going to snag it. Uh, you got, yeah. you got the, uh, the Audible, I guess? Uh, yeah. I have the, actually, I have the Kindle version as well, I think. Nice. But, uh, I think I'm going to have been listening to, to it. I've been on the hunt for good new Audible books, so I think I'll, I'll do that. Um, yeah. Well, and you know what? Since we've been talking about Frozen 2 and Disney so much, let's, let's, let's cap off the show. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about uh, Disney World. Surprise, surprise if, yeah. for you guys. I'm sure this is no great shock. But I, Scott, if there's one guy I want to like talk about the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World uh, on a Star Wars podcast, at least, it'd be you. Because oh, I was going like, to say, I thought it was Aaron, but no, he's not around, so no. I'm the next guy. Um, yeah, no, wel- welcome, <laughs> welcome. Uh, I, you know, I think the um, what I'd be really curious is if there's – like I say, if there's one guy qualified to answer this question, it's probably you. How would you characterize what is the actual story of Star Wars presence at the Disney parks at Disney World? Because it it's not OG, but I think everybody thinks of Star Wars linked inextricably with the Disney parks now. But that wasn't always the case. No, no. I mean, you really have you really have until uh, Star Tours mm-hmm. in 1987 at Disneyland, and then yeah. I think it, it wound up opening in '90. I want to say 90 at the studios. Okay. Um, and that's really where you first started getting real Star Wars presence in the parks as they, you know, they, they did that. And they, they had that collaborative association with George Lucas at that point, which resulted in an extraterrestrial alien encounter, which then <laughs> didn't last very long, which is a shame because it was wonderful. It was amazing. I but, had no idea that that was a thing. They had an, oh, e- no? they had an E.T. attraction? No, no, no. Extraterrestrial alien uh, encounter. You don't know about this one? No, no Alien clue. encounter? No in, clue. Okay. They took the old uh, Mission to Mars or Journey to Mars. Yeah, Mission to Mars, Journey to the Moon, Trip to the Moon um, theater thing and uh, that attraction. And they converted it into this thing called Alien Encounter with, with the help of George Lucas. And it is a tremendous attraction. The problem was it was in the Magic Kingdom and people deemed it a little too scary. Because uh, in in essence, they were they had perf- part of the Tomorrowland revamp in the early '90s was they had taken Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland was very outdated. It was you mm. know 1971's vision of the future. Yeah. And in order to kind of future proof it, the idea was to retrofit it into being the '30s vision of the future, so mm. that it would never you know yeah. ever get stale. Um, 
that didn't really work out, but they kind of had the whole land in a certain continuity. And uh, one of the things was that they had developed this interplanetary transport technology. And uh, these guys on another planet were going to test it out. And uh, basically, he was going to beam himself from one planet into the room where we were at that time. And instead, he gets stuck on another planet. They lock onto the nearest life form. Turns out to be a creature who then breaks out and runs amok throughout the theater. Uh, oh. It is it is a fantastic experience because most of it's experienced in the dark, but the sound effects and the and just the little tiny bits of motion they have around your seats are enough to absolutely terrify you. Uh, you feel like there's a monster breathing down your neck, flicking his tongue at your head. Uh, it, it's really amazing and uh, was deemed a little too scary, so they turned it into Stitch's Great Escape. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, now, I, all I could not- think about is Sweetums just prancing through the front of the yeah. Muppet Theater. Bonnie! Um, <laughs> no, Bonnie! That's the not new- the same thing. Okay, not scarier, probably. Much, yeah. It was great. I loved it. I loved the attraction, mm. and people just shriek. And it was just, I'll give you a blow-by-blow sometime when we have time, but it's, okay. it was amazing. Nice, nice. That's that a, was that was a George Lucas thing, and then after that, kind of shut down quickly. I don't know that their relationship was really great. It sounds like it when I Wars. I watched the the Disney Plus uh, documentary series mm-hmm. on attractions. They talk about Star Wars in the parks, and they cover Star Tours, and like some of the original Imagineers were like, yeah, didn't they were, they were talking like George would like have all these ideas for what he'd want, and he wanted like um water, like a water element added to Star Tours, and they're like, so with this like. Fancy, really expensive new hydraulic, you know, no, flight simulator technology. Adding water into this thing is not exactly practical. <laughs> so you can see there's little eye roll elements there. But yeah, Star Tours is what kicked it off. And I think it's what makes me kind of sad. And from a parks history perspective, is that the Disney parks and Star Wars are my entry into the Disney parks. Like my Star Wars fandom is what got me to the Disney parks. Uh, mm-hmm. only just in time to only have seen the new Star Tours. I never saw the original. Oh, I was wow. even at Celebration when they did like the farewell to the original Star Tours, but Last I was also... indoor? I was also like a, a broke uh, college student <laughs> and could not afford Disney park tickets uh, and all of so Star Wars Celebration. So you didn't go to that event then, the Last no, Tour to Indoor I, event? I was not, no. And I heard, you know, like George was there. I was so jealous because I was mm-hmm. like miles away, uh, just probably hanging out in my hotel room doing nothing. Uh, while you know George Lucas was hanging out with all the cool people at Disney, um, yeah, so we were there. <laughs> no, I know. We were there. Not to rub it in, uh, Scott. No, not to rub it in at all. But we didn't run into George. Ah, gotcha. And gotcha. and an even bigger celebrity was there, Steve Glosson. Yes, and, true. Uh, we didn't know him, so mm. we didn't. It did nothing for us. Yeah, I re- I remember hearing about it reviewed on Geek Out Loud and <laughs> the Force Cast at the time, and I was like mm. so mad that I didn't go. But, you know, early, early days of Star Wars, like fandom slash podcasting. But that is like that amount of intrigue is like, oh, I've got to get to Hollywood Studios. I got I didn't want I didn't care about Magic Kingdom. I want to see all the Star Wars stuff. Like everybody was always talking about Hollywood Studios, which is why for like a lot of those following summers when uh, Force or well, I guess Rebel Force Radio would do the um, the Star Wars meetup that at the parks each year for Star Wars weekends. Yep. You and I got a chance to hang out. At, I think a couple of those. I was always a good yep. time. So that was my introduction to the Disney parks was Star Wars. Uh, I guess maybe this is, um, I don't know. I'd be curious what, how you feel Star Wars has evolved in the parks since the 90s going into Star Wars weekends versus like the Star Wars weekends era of Hollywood Studios versus what it is now. 
Yeah, it's kind of weird because I I, I kind of miss a lot of that that doesn't do. happen anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I will I will tell you first thing. November '93 was when I first got to ride Star Tours, and uh, I will tell you it brought a tear to my eye. Hmm. Because uh, it was just because for the first time, th- this thing that I had loved since I was a tiny, tiny, tiny little kid, I was in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, and that and that's what what they have now is amazing. So, you know, probably dwarfs that experience wise. But at the time, this was huge to me. But I, I loved the the blending of the characters, the little, you know, the Mickey Luke's yeah. and the Boba Fett Donald's and all that stuff. I, I thought that stuff was great. I loved Star Wars weekends and because it, it kind of was a a day long star Wars convention. It was with a bunch of, yeah. And a bunch of people around. And then when they got rid of it, they were, well, you know, every day is a star Wars day. And it's like, yeah, but not like that. Yeah. Listen, um, every day doesn't have James Arnold Taylor, like leading a giant star Wars yeah. celebrity parade and doing a big old yes. show. Like it was the live entertainment at star Wars yeah. weekends, the live shows, the interview, even just the interviews, um, that, yeah, uh, I love James Arnold Taylor's show. As as a host, like the when he like his sta- one man show was super entertaining. But even mm-hmm. just his like um, Star Wars version of a talk show that he would do mm-hmm. uh, every day at Star Wars Weekends was so much fun and and so well produced in a in a like there's a lot of care put into the production value of the entertainment that was there throughout the parks. And yep. I think that that was what got, that's what, what it made it an experience, not just because of that, because it was something that you could like go experience with your friends in a way that felt like a, you know, yeah. a, an awesome star Wars convention, but just in a Disney and, park. Yeah. And there's a lot that I like about galaxy's edge and mm-hmm. it's nice, but it also, it's kind of, I don't want to say ghettoized, but it is, it's like star Wars is over there. <laughs> and then if you want to do something else, that's all over here. But if you want Star Wars, you have to go to the back corner there and just do Star Wars. And, and that's what I liked about Star Wars weekends was everywhere you went, there was Star Wars. And so yeah. it, it literally was a day in the parks with Star Wars everywhere you went. Well, and it's the it was the philosophy. They wanted it over there because they wanted it to be immersive. But what they sacrificed yeah. is it was immersive and also in off in a corner. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, and that's, it's, I, I like the immersion and I get that. And it's very Harry Potter and I, and that's I think it's great, but yeah. and, and I think look, they've never made an attraction better than Rise of the Resistance. Oh come on, they've, yeah, they've never made. And and I'm Disney guy going back to December 1974. Yeah, I am telling you, they have never made an attraction that is better than Rise of the Resistance. No, uh, on a technical level, on a storytelling level, on a thrills level, they just it's never been done. Um, but that having been said, I still wish that they would let it bleed over to the rest of the park more. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you. It's it's the um, the Galaxy's Edge era. It's been interesting to see how 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 they also overpromised a little bit, and and not to the mm-hmm. general public. It just sees a, an ad for it. But like for us hardcore Star Wars fans, like when I was at D twenty three when they made the announcement and had the live you know model, and I got to like walk around and see it, and they talked about the immersion mm-hmm. and all the different sort of. Um, uh, role-playing elements that there would be, but they talked in kind of vague terms, and and most of that didn't um, come to fruition. Yeah, you'd be even, able to have an adventure, and you well, could choose to join the the, the resistance, resistance and all that. Yeah, yeah, the resistance or the uh, or the empire, and and I the idea, and you could, and by doing so, you could interact with cast members and go on missions. Yeah. And I think they just shelved all of that, and they're just shoving that going to be yeah. into the Star Wars yeah. hotel. Yeah, what that kind of became was Vi Marathi saying, "I really liked your shirt. You with the with the resistance," and that was. <laughs> <laughs> or like Kylo Ren walking through with the First Order troopers, yeah. and like if you're wearing a Rebel T-shirt, he'll say, 
you know, something, something ugly. like Kylo Renish. <laughs> yeah. And back yeah. when that happened, and then I think a lot of the complaints have been the lack of characters in the park, the lack of ambience. Mm. And so I think what they've done is it's not a bad idea, but the execution sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, and, and I think that there's definitely room to grow though over time to like fill in those gaps. Yeah, and I think part of that, though, too, as far as the role-playing stuff goes, is the, the cast members don't know who is willing to go deep and who is not willing to go deep. Yes. Who are and, you just uh, going to be bugging versus yeah. who's excited to, like, go on this adventure? And, yeah, who, who's just walking around to ride rides and who is really into pursuing, as you say, an adventure. One of the things I will recommend to people, because it will help you do a little bit more of that immersive next-level thing, is Cole Horton's guidebook. Mm-hmm, yep. To it's Galaxy's Edge because it's got all the phrases. It tells you what all the you know the the, the tree that's there with the with the ribbons tied on it is there for. It tells you a history of Ogas and Doc Ondars and and uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Sabine. That's not Sabby. <laughs> um, you know, it, so it gives you a lot of that stuff that you know, and it also gives you the ability to interact with the cast members in a way that tells them, hey, I am looking to go a little deeper. Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it, and I think. Um, the future of Star Wars at Disney is is bright in that they are heavily investing in the Star Wars brand in a way that tells us that they are not they don't see Star Wars as as over. So even with the um, some of the mixed reception of the sequel trilogy elements, I think they understand that the popularity of Mandalorian and the popularity of the value of this brand goes beyond just the sequel trilogy movies. And I think I would I would not be surprised at all if after the opening of the uh, Galactic Star Cruiser, if they do periodic updates, not 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 unlike what they did with Star Tours, where they would add elements and scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Smuggler's Run is the perfect example of something that could be very easily transformed into different uh, time periods and different experiences. Yep. So I think it I think it'd be really dumb not to like change up time periods from time to time with Galaxy's Edge and redress it. Um, I agree. I think it'd bring people back to the park in, in, in big numbers and it'd be pretty cool to do. But um, that's just just my two cents. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Galactic Star Cruiser once the 15 people who can afford it have gone. <laughs> what, what I next? really wonder, I re- the, the free market capitalist in me really wonders what the price tag is. If Are there enough people willing to spin that kind of dough. Like, and I, I publicly talked about it when the pr- rumored prices hit. I was like, that is not an amount of money I'm willing to spend based on what I've seen. And, that, yeah, it's, a, and it's, it's a 48-hour excursion. I mean, yes. it's, or, mm-hmm. yeah, it's basically, well, it's two nights. Yeah. yeah. So it's a 48-hour excursion, and that's it. So uh, it is very, very pricey. And you got to think 16 of those hours are going to be sleeping. So what do you got after <laughs> that? But um, one of the things that I ventured, and, and you may be the first one to put this out there and, and you'll be a hero once this is, if this actually <laughs> sure. comes to pass, I put this out on a forum. I think it was in the RFR forum and people started shooting me down over it, but I still maintain that it's interesting. They, they don't just have regular rooms, but they have, you know, a regular cabin and then they have like a two bedroom and a three bedroom cabin Yeah, on this thing, which is ex- almost exactly the kind of layout that a DVC resort has. Oh, and interesting. My musing is, that they're saying to themselves, you know, if we get ourselves into a position where we hit a wall financially, we can convert this into timeshare and start selling off points in it. Yeah. And kind of make it a DVC resort as well. Yeah. I feel like that's not their first hope, though. I think they want to no, sell this thing out. <laughs> but I think that I think that's a hedge, though. Yeah. Because, I mean, the amount of, again, and you've investigated DVC, so you mm-hmm. know the, the number of, I mean, literally, you know, we bought, we, we bought, 
150 points, and at the time, much cheaper points than they are now. It cost us, the 150 points cost about $15,000. Yeah. Um, statistically for that, we have a third of a percent of one hotel room and a sixth of a percent of another hotel room. So <laughs> if you do the math on just that, understand how much money there is to be made in converting resorts into DVC. Yeah. I could see that. I, I, I would not be surprised if uh, you can. Now that it's out there in the in the ether, you can come back and gloat if you're right. That's uh, right. It <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be the only time. Mr. Scott Rifen, you know what? That's going to that's going to wrap this episode. Tell the people where they can find you on the old uh, Internet. Could, uh, I just put out a new my Star Wars story. Finally, my God, uh, it's out there. Yes. You've done it after this is Adam Bray, right? Yes. The Adam Bray episode. Awesome. Uh, it's out there. Um, you can find me at Rifen on Twitter. You can find me on the iHeartRadio app under Scott Rifen, uh, my daily podcast, uh, which is not nerdy. Um, and in <laughs> fact, I may mention a dirty thing once or twice a week, and then I get negative emails from 80-something-year-old people going, you need to stop that crap. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's true. It's all true. And uh, you can find at my Star Wars story on Twitter as well, because it's it's a thing. Well, I look forward to checking out that episode. Adam's a great guy. He's always been super, super nice to us. But, you know, I got to get him back on the show, too, before we close it out, um, oh, yeah. which we are. Episode, if you haven't heard, episode 501, the last Star Wars Report episode. We're in our countdown, and uh, happy to make the announcement. I'm uh, set to record with an uh, interview episode. We're going to be two episodes this week, come, uh, bookending the week with the one James McInerney from Rebel Force Radio. <laughs> Super excited to have him on and reminisce on all kinds of things. Star Wars, Star Wars fandom, convention era, the evolution of podcasts and the old Force cast to now Rebel Force Radio days. We're going to take a deep dive into Star Wars fandom from a guy who's been in it in the trenches for a really long time. So I'm super excited to have Jimmy Mack on the podcast uh, here in just a few days. So stay tuned for that episode. If you enjoyed the, if you enjoyed the Star Wars report, uh, rate and review us. Um, there's only so many opportunities to do it until we close out. So there you go. Uh, shoot us a rating or review. Uh, we do appreciate it. You can shoot us an email, starwarsreport at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Star Wars Report. And of course, facebook.com slash Star Wars Report is where you can find the show. Until next time, I'm just going to say may the force be with you. And remember, many Bothans died to bring you this podcast. Every time I have you on the show, I, I end right on time for you to do the. That's right. I didn't. Right. Have, I didn't have time to. Oh, we'll bring it back. Uh, talk uh, comics. I. I we'll, oh, do, yeah. we'll do it next time. I, we're on too cool. much of a roll on the Pixar stuff. That was really good, man. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. This is. This was my Boba's bounty too. Oh, nice. Also comics. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't gotten a Star Wars weekly. You know, I started collecting those. Years.